So it's Palm Sunday. And I have to confess that um, it's surprising to me that the ideals and philosophy of Jesus have ever really gained a lot of attraction or really even become popular at all because so much of the ideals and philosophy of Jesus are the opposite of what we value. I mean, we are a celebrity-obsessed culture. And he often shied away from the spotlight. We are a power-driven culture. We admire those who climb to the pinnacle of power in whatever field they choose to compete. We are a violent culture. We seem to look for reasons to go to war, to fight, and to argue. But Jesus, he is a horse of a different color. The kingdom, his kingdom, seems to be about the reverse of the values we so often cherish. And so when we read this passage this morning, which really is a a standard passage for Palm Sunday, it's good for us to, to take a look at how the events that happen here are different than what we might expect. This is John 12, starting in verse 9, and I would invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel. John 12, 9. When the great crowd of the Jews learned that he was there, they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest planned to put Lazarus to death as well, since it was on account of him that many of the Jews were deserting and were believing in Jesus. The next day, the crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming, sitting on the donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. Verse 17, so the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. It was also because they heard that he had performed this sound, this sign, that the crowd went to meet him. The Pharisees said to one another, you see, you can do nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Verse 26, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, 
there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I thought for a moment that I would play a little video clip from Sesame Street this morning. You remember the song, uh, one of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. Can you guess which thing is not like the other? You remember it, right? Well, if you're younger than me, you remember it because like we didn't have Sesame Street when I was a kid, but, but my baby sister had Sesame Street when, when she was a kid. Here's Palm Sunday. Finally, a cross section of humanity is getting it right. Jesus is king. We are cheering. But why are we cheering? Why are the people watching this parade cheering? Are we cheering because he is entering the city of Jerusalem in a way that is familiar to us? The parade parade accompanied by a returning hero? I mean, finally it's time for the Son of Man to be glorified, Jesus says. And this is the Jesus that we've heard so much about in recent days. And here is Lazarus nearby, the one who was dead and is obviously alive again. And given how much the Jewish leaders hate Jesus, you would think that Jesus would be hiding somewhere, but he's right here in plain sight as if he isn't afraid of anything. But there are some striking things about this parade that are different, that just don't belong here. This parade is the one thing that is not like any other parade we've had in this town. First of all, where's the army that's supposed to be following him? There's there's no military might on display. Did he forget to bring them? Are they still like camped outside the city? Where, where is Jesus's army? And, and there are no slaves in the train. No captured enemy forces marching to the capital in chains behind Jesus. And, and there's no captured treasure. I mean, there's no loot from the war. There's some things painfully missing from this parade, things that we would expect to be present. In fact... From our perspective, we could think about it this way. The main battle of the war hasn't even been accomplished yet. Jesus is riding toward the battle. And the king, the conquering hero of the parade, he has chosen for some reason not to ride his war horse. In fact, that's not a stallion we see him riding on it. It's, it's a donkey. The statement of humility, it's surprising. And if you think a little more deeply about it, it's not even his donkey. He had to borrow it because he doesn't have one. The people who are shouting maybe wonder, can't this king afford a war horse? Why is this parade so unlike all the other parades of conquering heroes that we have seen in Jerusalem. The folks would have been right to wonder about that. You see, Jesus has set his face toward Jerusalem some time ago, and he has been slowly, inexorably making his way to the city of David. He knows where this parade leads, and he chooses to make the trip anyway. 
we would not have done so. We would be looking for ways to escape this fate. We would be looking for cities where we could live in exile. We would be planning retirement in Florida or Arizona, someplace where we could get lost and avoid the Jewish leaders. But Jesus, straight ahead toward the conclusion of the conflict. Maybe I'm reading this whole parade thing in the wrong direction. Maybe this isn't hail the conquering hero. Maybe this is sending our champion off to war. Maybe maybe that's what this is. We know that there is a battle ahead. The standoff between the Jewish leaders and Jesus has been brewing for quite a few chapters in John's gospel by now. If you do a quick survey back through the gospel of John, these are some of the points that you shouldn't miss. John 5, 18. The Jews are now looking all the harder for a way to kill Jesus. John 7, 1. The Jews are still looking for a chance to kill Jesus. John 8, 59. The Jews make an attempt to stone Jesus. John 9, 22. The Jews decide anyone who confesses Jesus will be put out of the synagogue. John 9, 43. Jesus just straight up calls the Pharisees sinners. John 10, 19, the Jews are saying that Jesus has a demon and is out of his mind. Why listen to him, they asked. John 10, 31, they try to stone Jesus again, and then they try to arrest him. In spite of all of that, here is Jesus walking down Main Street, entering the city, the stronghold of these Jewish leaders. I wonder... Does this cheering crowd believe that Jesus is powerful enough to take on all the authorities, all of them, and win? Is this really the Messiah, the one who will establish the new world order, liberate his people, reestablish the Jewish state in ascendancy? Well, the answer is, that is exactly what they believe. That's what they believe will happen. But the problem is, the kind of Messiah that would come to establish military power is the kind who would lead a civic rebellion and overthrow the government. That kind of Messiah does ride a stallion, does bring armies, does bring weapons and seize engines, and maybe even some chariots. But the Messiah you have before you Donkey, no soldiers, not a weapon in sight. We might be tempted to believe that the other kind of Messiah might be able to overthrow the world order centered in Jerusalem, or at least this corner of the world. But what about the donkey-riding Messiah? Do we really have the courage to believe that this one is Lord? The one whose name is Prince of Peace, the one whose name is Wonderful Counselor. Does he really have the ability to overthrow the world order? I honestly believe that is the question we are being asked to consider this morning. Can this kind of parade lead to victory? Does Jesus have what it takes. You understand, all the followers of Jesus 
throughout all of history answer a resounding yes. Yes, he does. We have faith. We have confidence. We truly believe that Jesus is king. And we understand that we are engaged in a battle, you and me. We're standing against the culture of death, of self-indulgence, of violence and cruelty and injustice. Peace is a foreign concept in our world. Compassion is in short supply. The social safety net has never been thinner. It can be hard to believe that the kingdom of God can prosper in an environment like this one. And yet, that is the task that you and I are given. We pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That's always been the prayer of the church. We walk with the Spirit to see that it can happen and to understand that it has always been our assignment to pray, your kingdom come. Here's the rub. It's hard to believe that Jesus can win in Jerusalem, but though the cost is high, he will. He simply has to believe that the Father can make a way through all of that mess for him. He must trust the Father. He must. No trust in stallions or soldiers or weapons or political power. He must trust the Father. It's hard to believe that we can win and see the kingdom of God prosper here in Manchester and central Connecticut. But if we are willing to pay the cost, all we have to do is trust the Father to help us find a way to make a way through this mess that we're in. We must also simply trust the Father. And then we must move forward together into all that the Father has in store for us. That last verse in the passage I read is a challenging one, to say the least. It's John 12, 26. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor I think that what I'm understanding from this passage today is that everyone who wants to be a follower of Jesus in any situation, in any circumstance, in any decade, in any age, we have to join Jesus on this road to Jerusalem. We face the difficulties head on. We do not run away. Regardless of the odds, we choose to believe that good overcomes evil and that love wins and that Jesus truly is king. We must be able to invest the stuff of our lives, our time, our talents, our resources in the mission of serving the kingdom of God, the kingdom of which Jesus is king. And I think that means some things practically for us. I think it means we have to embrace the fellowship of believers. That's part of what we're doing on Wednesday nights, you understand. 
we believe that the last couple of years, COVID has sort of disintegrated our fellowship. And if we're going to advance as the kingdom of God, we're going to do it together as a team. And the way to rebuild the team is to spend time together. So that's why we want you to come on Wednesday night, April 20th, and eat loaded baked potatoes and mac and cheese and whatever else is there so that we can re-knit this fellowship. Because you only re-knit a fellowship by the currency of time spent together. That's it. No amount of talking on Zoom is going to get it done. No amount of text messaging is going to get it done. And no, I don't text message that fast. We have to be together. We have to, you say, but, you know, I'm so, by the time I get home from work, I'm tired. I want to get in my jammies. I want to sit down and watch TV. Don't feed me that. You need the fellowship more than you need the television. You need to be together if our lives are going to amount for something, are going to mean something in terms of the kingdom of God. So we have to find these opportunities, Wednesday night, other nights, weekend nights, to knit the fellowship together. It's a huge priority for us if we're going to see God use us to impact this community for Christ. The other thing we're going to have to do is reach out compassionately to those who are around us who are in need. It's easy when the pandemic is on to hoard the toilet paper, right? Because we don't want to live in a world where we run out of toilet paper. But unless we can understand that our neighbor also needs toilet paper, we can't live compassionately in this world. We have to always be aware of the needs of those around us and reach out compassionately to assist them. And so we must be men and women of compassion, love in action, compassion, right? Otherwise, we will never knit more than our fellowship together. Because the goal isn't just to knit our fellowship together, it's a means towards knitting the community together. It's to reach out beyond our walls and bring others into the fellowship. And so we're going to have to act compassionately. Now, if you think that like compassion is easy, then this journey of Jesus into the heart of Jerusalem serves as an example to us. It is costly. It is painful. It requires self-sacrifice. It means choosing the best interests of others, sometimes before my own, most of the time before my own. And if we will not embrace some level of self-sacrifice, we will never emulate King Jesus, who is now walking to his death to show us how much he loves us. And in all of those things, it means at least this that regardless of the level of mess around us, whether that mess is in our family, in our neighborhood, wherever it is, regardless of the mess, we will choose to trust Jesus. We'll choose to trust Jesus. In the same way that Jesus trusted his Father to make a way through the mess, we will trust Jesus to make a way for us. You say, well, how how much did Jesus really have to trust his father? I mean, how much did he have to really? I mean, Jesus is already God, right? He, he can do whatever he wants. How much does Jesus have to trust the father? Well, this is how much Jesus has to trust the father. On Friday night, Jesus is completely dead. He's dead. And unless his father raises him from the dead, it's the end of the story. He has to trust his father all the way to death. In the same way that we do, right? 
We trust the Father all the way to our death, trusting that He will energize us again and give us an eternal home in heaven. And in all of the mess of our lives, we must decide that Jesus is King and that we will trust Him and He can show us the way through this life as grand and as messy as it gets. Will we trust Him? Sometimes we start out by trusting Him and we get a little lost on the way. And we start to invest significant energy trying to provide our own security, trying to avoid any difficulty, trying to remove ourselves from hard situations. We started by trusting Jesus, but then rather than continuing to follow him, we get off track when the road ahead looks like there's going to be a problem. You know how it is. We we have these applications on our cell phone now where we're driving from point A to B and then the person on the phone says, oh, there's an accident up here. Get an alternate route. You press it and you go around the accident because you don't have to deal with the traffic that goes into the accident or the mess that might be ahead. So we just, as a society, we're practiced to avoid mess. But mess cannot always be avoided. You know what they say on television, some people run away from a fire, some people run toward a fire. It's the firefighters among us who understand that there's danger and run to help, right? And, and, and we of the kingdom of God are the people who do not look for the alternate route around the mess. We come with the grace and mercy of Christ to bring the healing of Christ to the mess. That's who we are. That's what we're invited to do, to, to embrace the pain of the world as Jesus does and allow God through us to love the world and bring healing and reconciliation and salvation. All of those things that we want the Father to be able to do through us. And so some of us get started on the road towards Jerusalem and we see the mess and we say, <laughs> and we look for an alternative route. But if we're going to be useful to the kingdom, we're going to have to trust the Father to make a way for us through the mess, whatever it is. And, and I'm afraid that too often the church is on side avenues around the mess rather than accomplishing that for which it was designed by Christ. Some of us have been baptized and forgotten the vows we made in baptism. Vows to live in obedience to the Holy Spirit all the days of our lives with the help of God, right? That's what we promised. We promised that when we went under the water, we died to our sins. And when we came out of the water, we had new life in Christ. We were walking in a new direction, empowered by the Holy Spirit, trusting him to lead us, except for when things got messy, we found an alternate route. And, and it's important that if that is us, if the Spirit has started to say to us, you understand like you're on a detour right now and you need to get back on the main pathway so that I can use you in service to the kingdom of God, that with the Spirit speaking to us, that's what we have to do. We have to be in step with the Spirit day by day. And so next Sunday, I'm going to ask you to do something with me. Next Sunday is Easter. We're going to have baptism. And I'm going to ask you during this Holy Week, 
to think about what it might mean to renew the vows you made in baptism. The vows you made in baptism, or if you were baptized as an infant, the vows you made when you confirmed your baptism. Will you live as a citizen of the kingdom of God? Will you walk in step with the Holy Spirit? Will you invite him to lead you day by day? Will you abstain from evil and do good? Those are the the promises we made in baptism. And I'm going to give you an opportunity next Sunday morning to renew your baptismal vows in a very specific way. I'll explain it next Sunday morning when you get here. But I'm thinking that it would do us all well to get a little wet next Sunday morning. I'm thinking that a reminder of what it felt like to experience the grace of God in forgiveness, in empowerment, in vision and perspective would do us all a little good. And so I invite you to think about that this week. Jesus is going to give his disciples a new commandment on Thursday night. A new command. That's where Maundy comes from. A new command I give you. Love one another. That's why he washes their feet to serve as an example. Friday night, Jesus, the light of the world, will go out of the world for a short period of time. And we will be in darkness, bereft of his leadership. But then Sunday morning when we gather again, we will rejoice that Jesus is king, that he has triumphed over all this mess to the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we will be energized anew by the fact that our king is victorious. And it will be our privilege to step in step with him and to join him as he remakes the world so that we can reflect his glory. So think about this week. What might it mean to you to renew the vows you made in baptism? What's the Spirit saying to you? You're still on course? Maybe on a detour a little bit? How's the Spirit talking to you? Consider that this week as we walk step by step with Jesus through Holy Week. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are amazed at what you together decided that Jesus would do. We are amazed that Jesus would leave heaven, walk among us, and then be willing to set his face towards Jerusalem and to endure mistreatment at our hands. We're amazed at all that he's done. Help us, Lord, this week as we consider again to understand more fully and to embrace more fully all that Christ has done for us. Renew us, we pray. For we ask this in your name, Lord Christ. Amen.
I'd invite you to stand with me. We're going to sing a song about the cross in closing. And um, then after that, we'll have a benediction. When I survey the wondrous cross
now may the mercy of Christ fill you. And may the compassion of Christ embrace you. And may the love of Christ reside deeply in your heart that you may know him as king and glorify him now and always. Amen.